anybody want to sing a song to to for, for a stinger this week? There was some. Oh, for some reason, I was thinking of facing a rising sun of a new day. What is that? Oh, it's <laughs> let us march on. You want to sing the victory. black? Yeah, the I know, black I know, I know. I figured national out national anthem for this. Yeah, elementary school, we sing that at every single like we sing that instead of the like. U.S. national anthem at all I mean, of our functions. I am so It is confused. a better song. It is a better song. What is the national anthem? Oh, okay. Uh, Lift every voice and sing. Okay. Sonnet, are you talking? <laughs> <laughs> what? You're. Are you still? Are you? <laughs> Damn it! Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. <laughs> oh my god! I was singing Craig's song. I love you. <laughs> oh. All right. <laughs> Not as good as the Black National Anthem. I, it I all hits be. different in a pandemic. <laughs> all right. I'm gonna do the thing. Uh, hi, y'all. Welcome to That Bleeping Podcast, a podcast where in four academics who love television, recap, analyze, and love and hate on all things popular culture. Right now, we're working our way through Degrassi, the next generation, um, usually by two episodes at a time. And today we are going to talk about the two-parter of Pride, which are uh, season three, episode five, four and five. Yes, episodes four and five. Um, before we start two things, uh, spoiler alert, there will be full spoilers as we recap the episodes. And sailor alert, uh, we will swear. So, you know, uh, gird your loins. I am Tiffany Salter. I'm a professor in um, both English and rhetoric, film and screen studies at uh, Bates College. Uh, and I uh, study Asian American and Pacific literature, um, and also teach film and uh, cartoons and sci-fi and stuff. Uh, I'm Jacinta. I am an assistant professor of English. I uh, study television, film, pop culture, writing, uh, digital media, etc., and teach classes in all of those areas. Um, and I parlay all that into this podcast talking about Degrassi, one of my faves. Uh, gotta second that, one of my faves. I'm Sonic Gabbard. I am a professor in women's and gender studies and sexuality studies at DePaul University. Uh, I teach pretty much all the courses offered in feminist studies and queer studies, um, but my research areas of interest are in transnational and global feminisms and sexuality and queer studies. So that's it. And I'm Brendan. I'm a professor of English in the humanities department at Central State University. I teach mostly, well, I teach a lot of composition and then African-American literature and popular culture courses. Okay, so we're watching or talking about Pride today, um, which, as Tiffany said, is a two-part uh, episode um, like Degrassi likes to do. Uh, so there's actually quite a lot that happens in these two episodes. So before I jump in, I do want to note um, just a heads up. Uh, content warning. Um, if you're watching these episodes along with us, uh, they include uh, homophobic slurs, 
um, as well as violence um, and such. Uh, so, and we'll be talking about that as well in this episode. Um, so in Pride, you know, in the past, we've talked about how often Degrassi um, pairs like lighter storylines to go along with the heavier storyline. <laughs> that's, that's not really what happens here. Nope. Um, so, so kind of the main storyline, um, perhaps signaled by the title Pride, uh, has to do with Marco, um, who, as we mentioned in a previous episode for this season, um, is only just barely in the closet at this point. Um, but all of that comes to a head in these couple episodes. So when we start the first episode of Pride, um, the whole group of the, you know, our main group of the grade tens, or, or at least the ones we're primarily seeing so far this season are going on a beach trip. Um, and so this is like Marco, Spinner, uh, Paige, Jimmy, etc. Um, Ellie is being dragged along against her will. Um, and she's tired of pretending to play Marco's girlfriend. Um, and Dylan, Paige's older brother, is the one driving them to the beach. We've heard about Dylan before, but we're just now getting our glimpse of him um, in this episode. And immediately when him and Marco see one another, sparks fly as they will. Um, at the beach, Marco tries to get Ellie to sort of participate in keeping up the charade, but she refuses. Um, it comes out that they've broken up, et cetera, et cetera. Um, while Dylan's hanging out with the group, him and Paige uh, share some interest in the local beach boys that are also um hanging out there um to which spinner is grossed out um and spinner's grossed out behavior um leads marco to further you know not want to come out however dylan suspects that marco is gay um and says as much to Paige, and Paige shares dylan's suspicions or interests with Mar- with uh, Spinner, and this sends Spinner into gay panic, um, which continues on uh, for for the foreseeable future. Um, so basically, Spinner tries to get Marco to date Hazel to prove to everyone and himself, I guess, that Marco is not gay. This does not go well. Basically, uh, Marco ends up running out of their double date situation. Um, and Spinner confronts him very dramatically in the alleyway, um, and they have it out, and Marco confesses, comes out as gay, right? That's just the first episode of this. Um, and then in the second part, um, it, we're sort of grappling with this aftermath. Basically, Spinner's being a jerk. He writes a slur about Marco on the bathroom wall um the guys are all supposed to go to dylan's hockey game and spinner tries to exclude marco from that trip jimmy and Paige are both trying to talk some sense into spinner he's not cooperating um marco ends up going to the game separately from the guys and when he is on his jaunt through town he um ends up passing like gay bars and things like that and as he's getting closer to the hockey game 
he gets uh, attacked by some homophobic guys who basically, um, you know, harass him and then beat him up. Um, Jimmy realizes that Marco's in danger, um, comes and runs outside um, and, and, you know, supports him. Um, and ultimately, Spinner and Marco have it out at in this episode. Um, and Spinner wants to, you know, he doesn't want to accept who Marco is, but he also doesn't want to be seen as bad as those people that jumped Marco. And that's more or less where we get left with their relationship and in these episodes. So that's the main plot. In the not at all lighter side plot or B plot, um, Snake, Spike, and <laughs> Emma have, uh, you know, they're adapting or trying to adapt to the baby situation. Um, and everybody's exhausted because newborns are wild. Um, and so Snake is getting sick, it seems. And so Spike says, you gotta go, um, because I'm not gonna have you get Jack sick. He just got over being sick. Um, so Snake goes to stay at, at uh, Joey's house for a while. And while he's there, um, crashing on Craig and Ashley's best attempts at Frisky alone time. Um, he passes out. Um, <laughs> and so, of course, Craig tells Emma about this. Emma confronts Snake about it. He wants to play it off, but he ends up going to the doctor. Doctor does tests and he says, Hey, looks like you might have leukemia. Okay. Um, yeah. So, uh, they end up running more tests and it, becomes like a waiting game to find out if that's going to be confirmed while this is going on emma and manny are still beefing but snake doesn't really know what's going on so he's trying to support manny um in raising money for the spirit squad and so he you know is initially doing this computer thing but then they need more money so he's like okay if you raise a whole bunch of money i'll shave my head of course, he's not telling them that he'll shave his head because he assumes he's going to have cancer. Um, shaves his head. He ends up shaving his head while Emma watches and a bunch of people cheer. Emma's annoyed. He gets the phone call about the diagnosis, goes out to take it. Um, Emma starts crying because she believes it's bad news. Manny sees Emma sort of breaking down. And even though they're still beefing, she offers a, some words of comfort. Um, or tries to. And so ultimately we end with uh, the presumption that the diagnosis is confirmed and Snake has cancer. And that's where we are at the end Ooh. of the two-part episode of Pride. <clears throat> yeah, this was a rough couple of episodes emotionally uh, for obviously Ooh. a lot of reasons. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Oh my God. <laughs> I did not expect to cry the first, like, entire, well, no, let me just step back. Amelia and I watched this epi- these two episodes together, and we both were just kind of holding each other's hands, crying <laughs> throughout. I, I remembered that all the Marco stuff was in these episodes, but I didn't remember that the snake stuff was in these episodes. So I was like, oh, this is a lot. This is a lot. <laughs> Season three coming out with a bang, I guess. Coming out with the 
Oh no. <laughs> oh no. So where do so, we want to go with this? I mean, so I have a question. Are we supposed to understand that Dylan has gone to Degrassi this whole time, but we've never met him before? Yeah. yeah. Good question. Yeah. I yes. was like, why is he all he's, of a sudden here? The answer is yes. And he's older. I can't remember if he's one grade or two grades older, but yes, the answer is yes. Well, whenever Paige has like <laughs> referenced him before, it's all, he's always seemed like a distant, you know, like, mm -hmm. you know, like Ashley's mm -hmm. dad, who is also gay and we never see him. And so like, I like, and also the way that she sort of talked about him to her friends, it made it seem like they would have no reference point for who he is. And it just, so when he was just there, all of a sudden, I was very confused. In, in the office, making copies? Like, is he an office assistant or something? Or in the library? I was very confused, too, I about think, his role. I think that was supposed to be the library. Yeah, I thought it was the library that oh. they both were. There was a, there were several of Tiffany's favorites in this uh, through glass moments between. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Dylan and Marco. Um, Stolen glances. Close yeah. enough to touch, if only the glass were not here. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, the way first, that... Should we start with my first question before we get going going is, um, what do y'all think about Dylan? I, you know what, I like... I meant the new people, but yes. Yeah. No, no, I'm saying, though, like, the thing about Dylan that I find interesting, like, watching again, is that he, like, is literally just that he um, is confident and, and sure of himself, which I feel like we did not see with a lot of, like, LGB characters adolescent stories in the 2000s right because they're usually yeah. coming out stories and they usually are traumatic and we still get that but like we also have this other character yeah i thought that it, so the the thing obviously that struck me very early on and in, in that sort of first because marco ends up in the in shotgun seat in the front with with dylan and we see it there and then we see it after the volleyball game, the sort of the intense like eye contact and the eye flirting that and the sort of like subtle like gestures, not like full lick lipping or lip licking, but like the gestures <laughs> at like small bites of the like all of those things that like very like are very much meant to signal. I think you are cute and I see that you also think that I am cute and here we both are and I know something about myself now. And uh, so, I mean, like, I, th I thought that it was, I appreciated his role as someone who is there to see Marco and like to allow Marco, who, who already like knows he's gay, but like, I don't know, to sort of like recognize that he is seen and, and um, you know, and it, yeah, legible in a particular way. And also like it, it like I appreciated him there as a cat, Dylan as a catalyst for growth for Marco. I mean, he's also like Degrassi hot, right? In the way that these characters would think he's hot, right? Like he's very right. conventionally attractive um, by the sort of the way he's, he's presented as someone that, 
the characters are to find attractive, right? Uh, in the styling and the slightly being slightly older is part of that too, because this show also does a lot of like unobtainable older, slightly older characters. I mean, the the bad version of that was Dean, right? But initially, that's how he was presented to us. Uh, that's what Manny seems to want, both with Dean and with other people when she has her sort of self awakening transformation. So I appreciated him for that. I think he's much more interesting in the first episode. Yeah, for in sure. In the second episode, I think the show sets up a thing and doesn't know how to solve it. And I think that some of it doesn't need to be solved, but some of it kind of is just left unresolved in ways that I wasn't necessarily wild about. Not that I think that Spinner's going to have some sort of transformation, but like... For as much as Dylan, I think, is supposed to be there to be like, look, gay person, happy, assertive, proud. He's sort of like entirely separated from them. He's not in their friend group. He's kind of parachuted in. I don't know. Yeah. He's also the quintessential, like, I know he said unattainable older person, or not unattainable, but older person. Like, he is a, a lust object that we haven't gotten to see um many people have without consequences right like Paige had the consequence of dean and manny has that weird guy that she's kind of dating but whatever we'll get to that later um yeah i mean everybody if thinking back to high school like you have your high school crush right and that person may or may not know you exist and marco in a weird way is lucky enough that dylan knows that he exists which not all of us had that luxury, especially those of us who uh, were queer, you know, growing up, like having an older hot person that's also like, you're cute. Like, I can't even imagine. It's kind of fantastic. But I, I definitely agree with you about the ambivalence later on in, in part two. I also think, though, that in addition to being a lust object, um, you know, Dylan gives Marco something to aspire to, right? He admires his openness. Like, he sees his comfortability. He sees the acceptance that Dylan gets. And then it immediately gets shut down in his, well, with Spinner, who is so, like, aggressive. He's so aggressive, whereas, like, Craig, as much as he does or doesn't know, whatever he knows, he doesn't seem to care. And Jimmy is very supportive. And Paige is obviously supportive. Um, but, like, Spinner, in some ways, almost cancels all that out for Marco. Yeah, um, before we get well on to Spinner, um, I would like to just say, from a casting point, uh, that I thought it was, like, as, like, he very much looks like he could be in the same family as Paige. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, I appreciate it, especially because he has very good hair. Uh, he has that, like, <laughs> he has that, like, yes. 2005, like, very good, wavy, like, almost like a shag sort of cut. Like, I don't know, the whatever the boy version of a shag cut is. Um he has the hair that JT and Spinner both aspire to, yes. but cannot find the right product to bring to fruition. <laughs> because they don't have what the good true? hair. No. <laughs> yeah, well, he doesn't really have as a world, right? He just exists by himself in that scene in the library. Like, it's him versus those people. Right. 
He goes to the beach with them, but he doesn't bring friends. He's there because he's the sibling. He's in the hockey team. I don't know. I mean, I think you're right. He is this ad- admirable object. I don't know. I the second up. Ep- I mean, we can get we'll get to that second episode, but like, I guess it's just. I don't know. I well, still like. I liked him a lot, and I think he's really. I just. I have. He's utilitarian. I mean, especially in the second episode, but, um, or, or, well, even not even really, especially in the first episode and barely in the second episode, like he just isn't, I don't guess, I guess I don't expect to see much of him after these mm-hmm. episodes. Mm-hmm. I forgot, I forgot to mention that he also goes and comforts Marco on the rocks at the beach. Oh, yeah. Because Marco's sad, and so he goes and sits with him on the rocks at the <laughs> beach, which yeah. is like very, very traumatic. While Allie yeah, is sitting also, under her parasol, which right, is amazing. Oh my God, Lace parasol, to, oh. yes. Ellie, the youngest grad student ever. <laughs> which, yeah. by the way, like prior to this, right, you know, in the previous season or whatever, we talked about how it was weird for Ellie to be friends with these people, but now they've made her, like, not friends with these people, which is weird. Like, there doesn't seem to be any, like, breakup here. Now they just don't like each other, which is awkward. Yes. One thing I want to say really quickly, though, I did appreciate, like, I think Dylan is one of the few characters that actually was like, Hazel, what do you think about something? <laughs> I was like, thank God right. someone's recognizing that Hazel is a human person with opinions and ideas. Like, well, he's the only one, I think of all of them, that's like, Hazel, what do you think? Well, <laughs> Meanwhile, Spinner's like, you're single now. Date Hazel. She's she's available. She's the one what? of the coolest kids at Degrassi. <laughs> well, and also, like, we find out that Hazel apparently crushed on Marco in the previous year but did we see this at all do yeah, i remember because yeah, briefly it was the whole thing with the secret messages oh, that Ellie was sending that's right because hazel had a crush and she felt like she was in a get and we talked about like the politics there right i think right, the right. other interesting thing about going back to last season is when we first we talked before about like Ellie sort of like the relationship between Ellie and Marco once Marco sort of acknowledges his queerness as being one that was sort of uncomfortable sometimes because it felt like it was more about her upset than his. I felt like in these two episodes, it made a lot more sense because she's pissed she's getting used and it's pretty obvious she's getting used. And in the second episode, She's super supportive of him. She's still annoyed by the pretense, but she is fairly supportive. She's not she's not Jimmy holding him while he cries supportive, which was like one of the sweetest things. Well But she's there for him. I mean, she's there for him to a point until he doesn't he until she I mean, like she's pressuring him to do to like out himself in a way that he is not yet comfortable with. And, and that is the point at which I stopped sort of rooting for her up to that point. Like, yes, she's supportive, but like 
part of like her sort of misunderstanding or, or just like non-comprehension of like what it means to be in that position, particularly as a young, uh, as a young person uh, who is navigating a whole lot of all like violence, even before like it, you know, like he knows what is on the other side because he's seen sort of like how, um, you know, like how Dylan is treated by Jay, uh, that guy who is not named in this episode, but we will find out who he is later. Um, and then like, like she, she just is not, she's not understanding of the complex calculus that, that Marco is sort of like working through and, and like bolstering himself or, you know, like girding his loins to sort of like jump into Right. And she's not given an opportunity to kind of learn and listen the way that Ashley was given that opportunity when Paige was a victim of a violent crime. Right. Uh, so we don't get to see Ellie kind of do the math in her head like, oh, maybe I should shut the fuck up uh, when it comes to telling Marco what to do about this hate crime he experienced. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about Spinner? If we talked around him, I, mean, I don't know what uh, there's to say besides can, the fact that he's trash. Can I just Can say- we just make a big fart noise? Like, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that sums it up. I mean, I was like, Remember in season one where there were at least a few episodes where I liked Spinner? Not so much. Uh, Spinner is uh, pretty fucking awful in these episodes, and it was a it was a it was a difficult viewing experience for sure. I think it's really like it's the severity of it for me because, like, I'm not surprised. We've heard like casual homophobic comments from some of the guy characters throughout the episodes, but it's just like the the degree to which he like goes over the edge with it and like confronting Marco and then writing slurs in the bathroom and like trying to quote unquote straighten him out and all this other stuff. It's just a lot, and like he is on this island of his friend group on his own and he does not seem to care well and he's also calling all of the supporters of marco like all of marco's network and especially jimmy calling them the same slurs too and saying oh you're just like marco you're just like so it's not only that he's targeting marco but he's like i mean i think gay panic really sums it up i mean he's trying to completely rid their their friend group of any form of same sex same gender desire right and it's an escalation of oh go for it well i was just gonna uh, you can go and i think my point is separate so you go for it i was gonna say it's an escalation of because in the episode in season two i think about the sort of like racial hate crime the sort of oddly constructed episode around um the woman who wears the hijab, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, in that Spinner's role is to sort of be the person who just is hateful through ignorance, which is often his role on the show is to sort of be like, I don't have the information. So I, I, but I'm a guy, a white guy who feels like he should speak. He does that there. He does that when he doesn't have all the information about what happened to Paige. And in those cases, it's, uncomfortable but there's a sort of like 
not that ignorance should allow you to get away with things, but it's more understandable narratively and like forgivable in certain ways because there's a teachability about that, which we used word we used before. Right. Here, there's no teachability because he comes out swinging. He yeah. just, like you're saying, is like adamant, and he's like setting these boundaries. And one of the things that the show does interestingly is it he doesn't. I mean, he's smart enough to not do the hardcore stuff around Paige. It's much, so for our listeners, right, there are two different slurs that are used here. One is just homo, which I feel like, I mean, might be offensive to some people. The other is the F word. He's not using the F word around Paige. He's not writing it in the women's bathroom or any place she'd see it. And so there's like degrees because Paige wouldn't countenance this, right? I think Paige is too smart and too invested. I don't know. I I felt my, I found myself really mad at Paige. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I was not in the beginning. I was like, yeah, Paige, stand up for Dylan. But then uh, her sort of protest to Spinner after a while. Uh, well, one, they waned, and then two, it just kind of turned into her more like eye rolly, like when Spinner does his stu- like something mm. stupid. Um, that was her same reaction, and it felt very unpagey. Like Paige is yeah. a confrontational person, and for her to just kind of roll her eyes and huff a little, like oh, spin. That to me felt very inauthentic for her character. Yeah. So I mean, like. A response to that, and then a thing about Spinner. Um, there, she tries, I think, at the beginning to sort of like be a soft, like to use a soft um, scolding. So, you know, after the comment of, in response to the basket, um, she, you know, she she basically says, like, you know, that she calls him something. I can't remember what the exact phrases but she says basically he's being a jerk um and and then it, it like as you said Sana, it just wanes um the other thing that i was going to say earlier about spinner's investment and in, is about spinner's investment in uh marco's boyfriend performance and his straightness like uh, you know quote unquote getting yes. him a real girlfriend and then but like but when Marco doesn't perform it good enough um, because he has to, he, you know, has to leave the double date that he's on with um, Hazel and Paige and Spinner. Um, and then also when he tries to butch it up and wear, uh, you know, a hockey Jersey uh, and all of the guys like then sort of like quiz him and try to like police him around, like, you know, like his, his performance call him out basically and say that he's he doesn't know anything about sports um i just like like if if spinner is invested in this performance he needs it to be authentic so he's like not only like pushing him marco to like do certain things but then he has to like do them to the t and to the you know like not um there's just this this way in which like the, it, like obviously like homophobia is is wrapped up in fear um but like i think that the thing that i found most interesting was like because of the sort of um because of the sort of like fervency with the fervor with which he is um performing this um or he is asking marco to perform this in a particular way like there's a franticness to it that like 
I think is really good about showing Spinner's fear around, um, around like, I don't, I, you know, I don't think that it's about himself, but I, I think that he thinks he'll be quote unquote, like gay by association or something like that. Like it, it's, it's just really interesting the way that like that ends up playing out, especially in that first episode. And it's also interesting. I don't know if y'all caught, but Spinner calls Marco his best friend at the mm-hmm. beginning. Yep. So I think that that's also kind of wrapped up in it too, is we see an intensification of their relationship too. Now that Jimmy is, you know, his frenemy, like Marco's taking the role of Jimmy for Spinner and is his, his emotional rock. And then now, oh God, like Marco... Uh, and in fact, Marco, J- excuse me, Spinner is the first person Marco tells bes- besides Ellie. Granted, mm-hmm. he was goaded into telling him, but I think that's also significant in terms of like who who Marco is relying on. Um, so yeah, I, I agree. I do think I think that one aspect though about Marco and and Spinner's friendship, which I guess happened over the summer, because I didn't really see that coming. Um, their best friendship. Uh, maybe that's another reason why Spinner's so invested in this. I think part of the, to go back to the page thing, I think the way she responds to the moment with, um, with Dylan has to do with like the way that Dylan is. And like, I think her reading that Dylan is not going to take Spinner seriously. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think her later response with Marco is a, uh, with talking to him about Marco. It's maybe not confrontational like we might expect, but it is, I think, a little bit softer because she's like, he's your best friend and you could actually hurt him. And maybe you need to think about that. But of course, Spinner doesn't listen because Spinner is Spinner. But I think that has a look those sort of different kinds of relationships in, are impacting how she responds to well and spinner does like not only emotionally but like he physically comes at marco a couple of, he shoulder checks him at the end of the first episode when like right after marco comes out to him and then the stuff with spiking the volleyballs like obviously like <laughs> well a point about this so like they're in gym class and um like spinner twice spikes the ball when they're supposed to be volleying. Um, and so he actually gets in trouble, um, by the coach. Um, and then, I mean, so like, there's nothing that to act like a bomb against homophobia, like misogyny, because then Marco says, good thing spin hits or spikes like a girl. Um, and, and I was just like, Oh, come on, Marco, you could do better than that. Yeah. Except, well, I mean, he could, but he's so, alone right right? yeah Uh, and i think the other thing is like dylan is great but part of it is dylan is like almost he is he's a jock right yeah that's how we're presented to him yeah right that volleyball thing matches the fact that he teaches like there's this sort of flirty scene where he's showing um uh marco how to hit the volleyball at the beach he's on the hockey team and so on the one hand, it's cool that Dylan is this sort of, not like full-on jock, but jockey and a cool older guy, whereas Marco isn't that guy. Marco's the fashion guy. Marco is, and so 
I mean, it doesn't excuse the thing, but it. Yeah. It's yeah, more Dylan of a, is. Oh. No, go for it. Oh, I was just going to say, Dylan is the sporty spice to Marco's posh spice. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But yeah. he does, I mean, he does have interests that Spinner has, like, he, Spinner does want to go to that hockey game, yeah. you know, and he, I mean, he's not upset that Dylan is gay, but Dylan's not his best friend. Dylan's his girlfriend's older brother, and he doesn't really care about that. Um, the other, I mean, we haven't really, we talked a little bit about Jimmy here, but Jimmy is really the MVP of this yes. situation. Um, he, you know, he, he really, like, he both confronts Spinner directly on his homophobia and also, um, supports Marco literally supports him with a a great hug um, after Marco gets jumped. And he taught, he, I mean, he, he tries to make it plain to Spinner. He's like, you know, Oh, what's next? You're going to attack me for being black. Of course, Spinner has no answer to that, but you know, Jimmy is doing his best. Yeah. I mean, Spinner's reaction would probably have been, uh, I don't see color. Because that's kind of a spinner response. <laughs> that's that's true. That's what he you're, said in the racism episode. You're exactly. right. <laughs> um. Yeah. From the like from like the first uh, on the beach when Jimmy like literally falls down laughing every time Spinner gets hit in the head with the volleyball. Like I am just on Jimmy's side for these two episodes. Like he is, he is great. Um, at pointing to Spinner's like ridiculousness and awfulness. He also gets the check at the pizza place with Craig. So he's also treating people to pizza. <laughs> <laughs> he's got that. Got that money. He's a capital B, capital F, best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, before we leave, I mean, I know we want, we need to talk about surprise cancer. Um, uh, But I guess we all reference like our ambivalence about this. I mean, I think for me, my ambivalence is about the fact that there's very little vision of happy and queerness here and I think that that's partially because it's unresolved which is fine I think that's but that's kind of been the queerness has always been the like since it was introduced it's been someone's sadness it's been his sadness and I think Dylan provides a happy like body literally (laughs) to cast it onto Mm mm-hmm but then the fact that, like, literally, because he got off at the wrong stop, he ends up seeing a possibility of good, happy gay people, and that leads to him getting the shit beat out of him. I yeah. was like, I don't really know what the message is here. Yeah, I mean, I think also, I mean, I I know I always am the person who's like, let's culture, let's historically situate this. But I mean, <laughs> I do, I did, I did a little bit, little bit of research too, like leading up to this. So Canada had a hate crime bill on the books uh, in 1985. And then part of that was also sexual orientation, quote unquote, that came later. But this episode, when it aired, it was five years after Matthew Shepard was killed in the United States. And I, I tried to look up other examples of 
um, homophobic extreme violence and murder. And I couldn't find it in Canada, but I'm sure if we have any Canadian listeners, please write to us. We will update that info. Um, anyway, all of that is to say, I agree, Brendan, up until this point, there hadn't, there had not been a lot of examples of queer thriving. It was mostly queer survival, uh, with an exception of on TV, queer as folk and, um, uh, the L word came, I think, around the same time, so I wouldn't lump that in there. But then, of course, Will and Grace. But in that way, I do think that Dylan is a little bit of a revolutionary character because he wasn't falling into the, the stereotypes that were written on to queer um, masculine people at the time, right? Like, there weren't very many athletes. I mean, there were obviously queer athletes, but there weren't queer athletes on a YA show, right? And that feels very normal now because we have every, like, we have all the representations of white cis queerness on television, I feel like. Um, but at the time, I, I do think that there was, I guess that kind of lessens the ambivalence for me because it's like, yes, the main character is still in a, in a, is in survival mode, but possibly this is a setup for something better in the future. Well, I, I, if I can, like, going off of that, ask a question that really actually kind of bothered me when it was shown was like, we, like, why is this, why is this scene of Marco um, get beaten up by these four men um, why, why do we see as much as we do in ways that we have not when it comes to other like violence on this show? And, mm -hmm. and I, and I wonder like, to what extent, like, it, it just like, it, it really bothered me. Like it was, it was very upsetting. Um, and, and, uh, I just, it seemed like such a departure from the decisions that this show usually makes. Uh, I mean, I obviously don't have the answer, but I suspect that at least part of it, I think would be, if I could imagine what their like motivations might be, I can imagine that they might be thinking we need to show this. So people really know that it's happening. And that they didn't, they wouldn't, like, that they're thinking, like, well, maybe people don't really believe that this is an issue, so we're going to showcase it so we can really, like, drive the point home. I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, I think it could also have been, like, their attempt to show the micro, which is spin, Spinner's constant, which is, it's not microaggression, it's, it's a blatant aggression, but I'm saying on the smaller scale spinner is connected to this larger scale, you know, um, homophobia and heteronormativity, et cetera. And those two things working together, like spinner is the small scale of that. And then these random strangers are supposed to stand in for the larger systemic part. Right. I mean, that's kind of how I read it, especially at the end when he says, I'm not like that. Mm -hmm. And, and we're left, and it's, it's left with almost an an ellipses, like, well, that, 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 you could be. Well, um, he, and he actually, that was he actually the, says, you can't, you can't compare me to yeah. those guys. And Marco says, why not? So it's not yeah, so exactly, much implied. Exactly. Yeah. No, I yeah, also, that's what I meant. I also think like, 
uh, without like overly, you know, talking details. I think that like in the first two seasons, they're younger. As I think as they get older, some certain things get more explicit. Um, yes. As the characters get older, and I this I might also fall into that. I agree. I mean, I was going to say I had the same exact question, Tiffany. Um, I think also the extent to which we see it. I think not so much that it happens, but the the it's a fairly prolonged scene yeah. of violence, and I was like, it was exceptionally traumatic for me to watch. And uh, having not seen it, like, that's, like, I, and Tiffany knows, like, I immediately messaged you guys, because I knew the two of you had seen this already, but I was like, Tiffany, like, just know this is coming. Because it was, and uh, I think, I mean, I, the only other scene of assault that we've had that's been, like, I think this upsetting is obviously what happens to Paige, and they're not, I'm not saying they're the same, but they are these two sort of, scenes of violence that have these large ramifications and long-term trauma in the show. And that was much shorter. Um, and I mean, Craig. I would add Craig's. Craig's and Craig's, yes. But this, like, didn't cut away. I think that there's a mm-hmm. way in which those were often yeah. cut away from. They were fractured. I kept waiting. I was like, when are we going to fucking cut away? Yeah. Right, And so I expected the sort of camera to move away. I think that is, I, I, yeah, I think it was for me less about, like I understood the narrative purpose. I didn't really love it because I think that we could have done it on the micro without doing the macro. Mm-hmm. Um, he could have been heckled, but in the, yeah, it was, I, I hated it. <laughs> well, and it, this brings me to my last sort of question about the storyline, which is like particularly tied to like, like this scene of violence. Like I like normally they, they go for like a quirky song title for the episode title or something like that. And here I understand that the word pride is generally shortcut to understand to like for audiences and and folks to understand gay pride, but like, what does it mean that this episode, like other than signaling gayness, like I don't understand why using this title for this, for this episode arc in particular. There is no fucking point. No, I know. Yeah, I agree. I think think it is just to signal gay. Yep. That's it. It's bullshit. Yeah, because I forgot. I mean, I I got this episode and a future Marco episode with a happy ending mixed up in my head. And so I I invite, again, I I mentioned Amelia to begin with because I was like, oh, we should watch this together. It's going to be a good one. And then I was like, oh, fuck, no, it's this one. (laughs) And I'm serious. And that's totally based on the the title. So I was like, shit, because there's a future Marco episode. There's no spoil. I won't give any spoilers, but it is a prideful episode. And so I was like, fuck. And so, yeah, this is just to illustrate you have your question. Total merit. Yeah, I think the most empowering stuff that happens here is just the existence of Dylan and that scene in the library, which is very 
I could see, to go back to what we are saying, if I was a teen at this point, I could see the empowerment in this sort of bigger guy who doesn't take shit from another big guy and also is respected for it in a certain way. And then also the fact that there is a point in this episode where Marco says, I'm not just going to be anything. And that seems like to be his lowest, which I think the is meant to mean just like, I'm just going to avoid labels, but it could mean a lot of things that are really dark. Yeah. But there is something slightly empowering about him pushing back on Spinner at the end of the two-parter and making the micro-macro connection, especially since this is, I think, much more effective at making it than the race episode, for example, which catapults in a racist and then catapults out a racist who we never get to meet, who's not in our group. And here, it might be partly because, like Jacinda said, there's an age intensification Spinner's not going away, and these breadcrumbs have been left here for a while in this group, and now Spinner is sort of blossoming in a very fucked up way. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I don't know if we want to go to the other side of this episode. Yeah, <laughs> the, other thing gonna... the other thing that's hard oh. about this episode is there is no escape because... The no. other side of the episode starts like a sitcom. I was like, oh, it's a sitcom. You know, uh, Sn- you know, Snake is sick and has a cold and Spike is taking care of the baby. And so she makes him go stay, you know, and it's just quirky. And then blood's coming out of his fucking nose. He's bleeding right? so, his band-aid. So it is at that point it switches from sitcom to soap opera. Yep. Because yep. if you pass out, yep. you are either pregnant or die. Yep. yep. Oh, no. So... I was like, what is this soap opera? <laughs> he faints onto... Or, or you have an addiction problem. Yeah. Like, the other side. He faints onto the sofa. He, it is a fainting sofa. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. It was an interesting episode, too, because I feel like it also is kind of about Emma. It's. I thought it was an interesting thing about Emma dealing with the fact that maybe too patly, but she started to see... I guess like she's done the work to shift to this new father figure as a father figure. And now that father figure is acting super, she feels cavalierly about his diagnosis. And so I thought that that was really interesting and really well done. But I was just like, ah, can you give me a fucking break between the two sides of this episode? Which I guess you could arguably say that that also fits into pride the way that, um, Snake is sort of going about all this or trying to go about all this um, and Emma like trying to get him to be more serious about it. There's a point when um, it's right, it's, a, it's after I think it's after the volleyball match they cut to Snake who's like, I'm fine, everything's fine or no, no, it's later. After he got his biopsy, he's like, I love my friends. Let's have a party. And like, he's clearly shooken up from the procedure of his biopsy. Emma's freaking out. Spike's freaking out. Amelia turns to me and says, are all men in this show trash? And I was like, well, not Marco. I mean, Marco's great. But it is that sort of like, wow, there's a lot of masculinity stuff happening uh, in this episode that I'm just, she was not on board with. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, 
it's a hard episode for me because I want to respect the fact that he's allowed to deal with his diagnosis like he wants to. But I think the second half of that is that other people are connected to that diagnosis. And he just, I mean, that's kind of why I think it's actually in some ways masterful is that if he wants to be part of this family and be asked to be treated like part of this family, he's not a bachelor anymore. Right. He's not just seeing this woman casually. So now they, they rely on him and they love him. And I think that part is what, yeah, you're right. Is really about this denial, which is, acceptable but also this is as usual emma still is so young to be dealing with all the shit that adults want her to deal with for them yep she's 14 and she's just clearly been crying the whole episode and snakes just bopping around and it's almost like he's oblivious she's like there are tears streaming down her face at school and he's just like, I don't have, I, I, I can't pick this up right now. <laughs> like you said, Brendan, is, is, is a definitely valid feeling, like, and totally makes sense. But yeah, poor Emma. Mm-hmm. Poor Spike with a fucking newborn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can, can I be flipped for just a second? And before we know what's wrong with him at the very beginning, when he's sneezing, I was just, can you cover your fucking mouth when you sneeze? Please. <laughs> he's just sneezing all over the place. No even attempt. He's just like, oh, I didn't make it to my mouth in time to cover my mouth. No, he just doesn't even try. And I'm <laughs> Oh my God. He's even when things are bad, he's always a sitcom character yes. inside his profile. Yes. So true. I thought he was gonna have uh oh fuck. The disease where one's body doesn't clot. Anemia. No. Hemophilia? Hemophilia, because there's all this bleeding, and then there's like a weird, very, very soap opera thing where he's cut his hand and he bandages it, (laughs) and the camera zooms in on the blood still coming. I was like, the fuck is this? But it's a drawn line. It's not like a pool of blood. (laughs) It's like someone took a red marker and drew an incision mark on the Band-Aid. Yeah. The camera in this at these episodes actually does a couple of interesting zooms yep. and I was like, okay. <laughs> uh, um I think I think like yeah, there's not like a lot of different moments that happen in that storyline, but it's definitely like tra- like this is just so much drama and trauma in this two-part episode and no real respite from any of that um but i do i did want to just briefly like touch on there are a couple of other sort of aside moments that happen one emma and manny we we find out just for a short exchange that things are still very icy between emma and manny from the last Mm -hmm. episode and in fact manny doesn't know about any of this um and in fact she thinks she thinks Emma's being a wet blanket about Snake shaving his head, which, to be honest, is a very also very believable for Emma to be a mm-hmm, wet blanket about mm-hmm. something. Um, but Emma then surprise because I know, but then Emma discloses to Manny that he's sick and it might be really bad. Um, so we have a moment of them possibly reconnecting, but maybe not. We don't know yet where they stand. Um, so that's one quick aside that 
needed to be put out. And then we also are introduced to Jay, the character who is like Spinner's, uh, the little devil on Spinner's shoulder whispering. I mean, it's, Spinner's doing this all on his, on his own too, but Jay is the bully who is also teasing Marco um, that Dylan stands up against. So those are the other two things. Some well, favorite things yeah, favorite in this things. really uplifting episode. <laughs> oh yeah, my favorite thing is um, Marco's capri pants. Oh, yes, yeah. I wrote in. I have to show you guys what I wrote in my notes. Can you see it? It's backwards, but it says Dylan, and then it says capris. <laughs> <laughs> like again, we already talked about this, but Marco, buddy, buddy. The capri pants. I mean, there is nothing nothing wrong with his capri pants. You shut up. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with capri pants. However, if you are trying to hide in this closet, I don't think that this is the way. True story. (laughs) Uh, My favorite thing is Marco's braces, who I think have a new feature I mean, they, they're so cute. It's just so, like, crystallizes 15 in my brain is, like, braces. So that's probably my favorite. Mine there are a lot of favorites in this episode. Yeah, I mean, mine are, well, I like how much acne everyone has that oh, we're yeah. allowed to see. It's not, I mean, I had a lot more acne than all of these people in high school. But compared to most teen television especially being made now where no one has acne. And if they do, it is like stage acne. (laughs) It's just casual. And this is the first episode I really noticed it because they're all the age, especially the older kids, but even the younger kids because of the sort of over the summer glow up and or just grow up that's happening. Um, So I liked that. And I also liked when um, Paige said, there was a reference when they're doing marshmallows and they talk about not burnt oh, yes. carcinogenic. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I already. Oh, can I also say my other. Oh, I just thought of one more thing that I really loved. Um, besides the hug and Dylan asking Hazel, I also loved the various shell necklaces that Marco was wearing. Mm-hmm. He had a lot. His accessory game, including the fedora, was. <laughs> was on point. So on par. He is he is time. overly styled. But uh so my favorite thing, one of them I already said, which was Jimmy falling down laughing every time Spinner gets bonked in the head with the volleyball, which is just very good. Uh is the is when um Marco pronounces marinara, and I'm not going to try to reproduce it when he says that he's going home because his mom is making marinara. And that's and <laughs> like, that's his excuse for bailing on the double date. I was just like, this is very good. Uh, it then turns sour, you know, as Spitter like pursues him after, but um, I very much appreciated the sort of like Mario Batali-ness of the, <laughs> the pronunciation mm-hmm. of, oh. of marinara. Yes. Yeah. Predictions to funny. Oh, I don't know. God, we have to have something happy at some point, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, I wrote younger kids story because this is a lot yeah, that's true. about the older kids. Yeah. And the pendulum, I mean, but also lighter, hopefully. That was a 
and then obviously there's more Marco drama because nothing is really resolved. Neither of our storylines are really resolved. Even Degrassi can't cure someone of leukemia in a two-episode sequence. It can try. Bullshit. Don't tempt them. <laughs> they would. They do it in 10 minutes. Yeah. So, yeah, that was what I said. And, yeah, the, we'll have to see. Wee. All right. Hopefully happier times next time. Yeah. Fingers crossed. <laughs> a girl can dream. Until then. <laughs> Until then. I don't know. What do we say? Fuck, I keep forgetting. <laughs> Just bye. Whatever it Whatever takes. takes. Whatever it takes. I know I will make it. All right. <laughs> bye. 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 You can find us on Twitter at That Breathing Pod and on Facebook and Instagram at That Breathing Podcast. Listen to and subscribe to us on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts, amongst other places that grab podcasts out of the evening. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It'll help other fellow Degrassi nerds find our shenanigans. Shout out to Chris Robley for the use of his song Anonymous off his fifth solo album, The Great Make Believer, as our new theme music. Learn more about Chris and his music at chrisrobley.com. That's R-O-B-L-E-Y. And follow him on Instagram and Twitter at chrisrobley. As always, thanks for listening. I will talk to you all soon. Look for another episode from us in a couple weeks.